everybody, and welcome to the Frontside Podcast, episode 65. My name is Charles Lowell. I'm a developer here at the Frontside. With me, also from the Frontside, is Elric Ryan. Thank you for being with us, Elric. I know this is your first podcast. This is my first podcast. It's, it's great to be here. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> yes, we hired uh, Elric a little bit ago, and uh, it's been fantastic. I'm glad to get you on. With us today is a really awesome guest. His name is Balant Erdi. And uh, I actually like to tell a little bit of a story when I have an anecdote. And I do have one about you uh, that I think you might like, although you might, it, you might not even remember it. But it was shortly after EmberConf last year, you and I got on uh, a pairing session remotely and we were working. I don't even remember what we were working on, but I was struggling this, with this way to decorate objects without changing them, without touching them or mutating them anyway. And you showed me this technique of actually decorating it by creating a new object with the old object as the prototype. Do you remember that? Yes, I totally do. How could I forget? Yeah, that, that one hot tip like changed my life. <laughs> like it was, it, I mean, it is one of the best techniques that I have discovered in, you know, I don't know, the last five years of working with JavaScript. It really was great. And it really was, I use it all the time. Wow, amazing. Yeah. So thank you. I, I don't know if I ever said thank you, but thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no problem. I also learned a lot from that pairing session, actually. I didn't know that my small contribution made such an impact. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. We need to actually make that happen again. I don't know why we only did it that yeah, once. Yeah, we should. So anyway, so uh, um, we're here to talk about data loading. This data loading is some, something that uh, is absolutely critical to building good front end and building UI. And yet it's something that the users never really see. But it is probably, I don't know, sometimes it feels like it's 90% of the problem. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's so true. So yeah, we're going to talk about techniques that we use and that you use, and, and uh, in particular, JSON API, what it is and what's so great about it. Cool. So what is JSON API for folks who've never heard of it? So JSON API is like a standard way to build APIs. I think the specification reached 1.0, I would say two years ago or three days ago. I remember it was in June. I'm not sure which year. And so it basically lays down everything that you usually consider when you build uh, an API. So how to fetch relationships, how to paginate data, how to sort, all these things that I think developers tend to invent again and again. I think probably the biggest advantage of JSON API is that it, it just declares a standard way to do that. So it basically reduces the bike shedding going on at the start of the project. Well, and that's just at the start later on too. In my talk at EmberConf, I coined a JSON API, the convention over configuration for APIs. I see. So pagination is something that everybody does. Why need to bike shit over the syntax, like the actual data format? Well, all of these things are, are things that everybody does. It's just that everybody does it differently. And there is a lot of discussion going on, which the best way is, for example, when, when there's a team, uh, at least every team that I was involved with had several discussions going on about what data format to send data in and how to paginate and all these, I think, details that where it's more important to get to an agreement, just to agree on something and move on, than to get it perfectly, if at all there is a perfect way to do it. 
I guess my question is, is what, if you have the standard way of doing of everything, what kind of tooling then can you build that can you kind of inherit for free at what level, you know, both from the low level and then up to the top level? When I say top level, I mean what the user is seeing. Uh, yes. So by low level, I guess you mean the actual libraries that implement JSON API in different frameworks, right? Exactly. Yeah. Are there now like a lot of libraries out there? So, you know, whatever I'm using, if I'm using JSON API, uh, is it available in a lot of different ecosystems now? Yes, it definitely is. So there is a full page on the JSONAPI.com or .org, so on the official JSON API page that just lists all the, the different libraries that are now implemented in all these languages. I have experience with uh, Rails or probably Ruby too. And there are three libraries, I think all of them are pretty good just for implementing JSON API. And the one I used is called JSON API resources. And it's very telling that basically for, well, it's a rather simple application, but I basically didn't have to write a single line of code. I, I only had to write very little code in the server to, to implement these JSON's API specific features. So most of the relationships could be implemented with uh, just declaring JSON API resources and then the name of the resource in the Rails application. And for all the other things, I really didn't have to do that much. So every time it was just adding one or two lines or changing a configuration value and boom, it was just, it was just there. Now, how do you choose then what relationships you want to load in which order? Is that controlled by JSON API? It's controlled by the the front end. So it is a front end application that's going to send these requests to the back end. So that's where you should consciously think about what relationships you are fetching and, and how. Right. So part of the specification is a way of specifying which relationships you want to load. And my understanding, like, so part of JSON API is an interface for saying, I want you know, along with, say, the user, I want to load all of the posts that this user has made. Yes. So JSON API indeed has a keyword called included, which you can implement on your backend, which does this. So if you specify include and then the name of the relationship or relationships, you can fetch several ones, the backend must comply with that request and also send back those related resources. That is called compound document in JSON API parlance. So is that like the reverse of what they're doing in GraphQL? Because like on GraphQL, I think you have to request the relationships you want on the front end, and then it kicks it off to the back end and it gives you the information back. Is like JSON API, the include, is that like the same thing, but in reverse? So I'm not sure because I'm not very familiar with, with GraphQL, but all that include does is that you are normally fetching a resource, and then if you specify include, then you are telling the backend, please also include these related resources with the primary resource. Yep. Okay. Right. I think it's a very, it occupies a very similar concept in that you want to have control on the front end about which resources or what data gets fetched uh, in addition. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds very similar. Mm -hmm. I would love actually to do a comparison uh, because I know there's a lot of overlap between GraphQL and, and this. Um, so maybe we can get into that uh, a little bit later. So one of the things that you said back there is, you know, having this gives you kind of fine grained control over 
when and how you load your data. Because that always seems like a pretty a difficult problem to attack on your front end because, you know, as you're rendering your application, you know, you have to incrementally fetch little pieces of data here and there uh, and make sure that it's all ready at the time that you actually need to render something uh, like a component and that it's got the right data at the right time. And so, you know, it seems like it's this constant dance of whack-a-mole to try and, you know, oh, I'm loading too much here. It's taking too long versus I've got too many loads happening. You know, I've got 20 requests to run this single page. Like, how can I batch those up into a single thing? And so how do you go about thinking and designing that data loading strategy as you're ready to render pages? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And I think the short answer is that how you load data has to be part of the design process. You really have to spend time thinking about how you do that based on the needs of the UI. So I think the the way you need to render the UI will suggest the way to do data loading, right? And that's especially, especially true in Ember, I think, where there are really neat ways to, to for example, block uh, the page from rendering too early. So anything that you want to render first, you can fetch it in this non-blocking way in the model hook of Ember. And then anything else that you're okay with uh, rendering later, you can fetch in other ways, like in the setup controller hook or uh, from the templates or from controllers or whatever way, but uh, not in the model hook. But if you are doing something outside of the model hook, because this is something I feel like come a pattern that comes up a lot. And this is really, you know, regardless of where you're operating, um, if you're using Ember, if you're using another framework, you have kind of this top level data loading, but then you have, you know, kind of as you have your nested components might need more data. So how do you go about loading that data? I mean, I guess you have to think about that also up front. It's like, I've got this component that might want to request more data. How do I actually design that and think about that of, you know, I've got this data that's going to come, who knows, maybe minutes after the initial route is rendered. Oh, minutes, that, that would be different. But I think that you can apply the same principle. I mean, you, you can fetch some data in the model hook in this blocking way and then pass it all down to your component if you don't want to like render the component before the page renders. Or you can just even fetch it from the component when the component is rendered. So you're thinking maybe in terms of streamlining the rendering process, so that you can begin rendering while your data is loading. Is that the use case? Yes. I mean, if you, if you, for example, fetch the data from your component, then it's just going to fetch the data as needed, right? So you have the whole page load and render. And then when the component is rendered and it fetches the data, then you are going to see another request go out to the backend. That data comes back and then the component is going to be re-rendered with the new data. So I think in most cases, that's totally fine, but you might have a use case when you don't want to render the page before the component has all the data that it needs. In that case, what you can do is, uh, once again, you fetch data needed in the model hook and then just pass it all down to the, to the component. What are some of the pitfalls that you would run into by not thinking about your data loading strategy beforehand that you can pull out and explain? I think the classic one is the what was known in, in Rails and other framework as the N plus one problem. And it's when you fetch many related resources, then you might end up with doing uh, N requests for N number of resources. So in the case of Ember, 
if you have, for example, a blog post as your model, and then in your templates, you write model.comments, then what's going to happen, depending on the backend that you use, but in, uh, sorry, depending on the actual library that you use on the backend, but I, I ran into this myself, is that by default, you are going to make those end requests. And Ember solution is really the, the just works. I mean, the default solution indeed just works. And you might not even run into this because you might not have this scenario. Just You might just have a few records, but if you have a great number of them, then it's going to be a bad experience. Mm-hmm. So, so someone that's just dealing with Ember and then they go and request, make a request and then see all these requests come back. That would be something that they would then have to turn around and ask or fix within the back end to say, like, only give me a certain set of this. Yes, exactly. So. Or is there something on the Ember side with Ember data that you can say, hey, you know, only fetch X amount? Right. So I think both. Uh, I can speak about using Ember data and JSON API resources. And so what you can do uh, to mitigate this case is to use links, called relationship links. So instead of fetching the comments one by one, the backend can actually drive Ember data to fetch all the comments in one request from the link that it sends the front end, right? Uh, so if okay. you have, you first ask for the blog post itself, and then the, the backend, a JSON API compliant backend will send back the, the blog post resource, but it's going to have a relationship link inside. And Ember data automatically records this. So when it needs the comments for the blog post, then it's going to fetch them from that uh, provided URL. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I haven't really talked about that in, in a lot of detail at EmberConf. Yeah, I see. Here's I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent because I feel like this is a pattern that's coming up more and more. So to give a little bit of context, I feel like the way that our data loading strategies have evolved is we're used to the page loads. Then we kind of analyze the URL. We decide what data needs to be loaded to render our components, and then we pull that data from the server based on a decision. And then we do our render. But it seems increasingly more prevalent that we are having a combination of both pulling the data from the server and having the server push data onto us. One is like, what is, what are the kind of strategies for dealing with that given kind of certainly in the, at least in the Ember world, you know, routes aren't reactive. Uh, and then does JSON API actually help with that at all? Uh, yeah, good question. I don't think that JSON API specifies how to handle that. We are thinking uh, about something like uh, WebSockets, right? Like pushing data from the server yeah. WebSockets. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't think uh, JSON API covers this, this scenario. Yeah, I mean, it seemed, definitely seems like beyond the scope. But, I mean, I'm wondering if there are any, uh, any kind of thoughts about just general strategies about how to how to handle, you kind of have this model state that's sitting at the top of your render tree, you know, in Ember, for example, in your route. Uh, and how do you handle the fact that the route requests data and like, how does the route, how do you handle data coming in after the initial render? So if you use Ember data, that then uh, you can push data coming in from a WebSocket, for example, to the store. So mm-hmm. yeah, you, you probably do some massaging on the, on the data that comes in and then you push it to the store. And then depending on how you fetch that data, you might have uh, a live collection. For example, if you do a store uh, find all uh, notifications and then a notification is coming in, 
then it's going to get displayed right away on your page because then your template is bound to a live collection. But not all right. not all things in Ember Data are, are live collections. Okay. It's mostly library dependent. But if you're using Ember Data, then you just push those directly into the into the store and those live collections. They're kind of like a real-time query. Yeah, exactly. But what I'm saying is that not all Ember Data queries that you do are live collections. You know, I think for example, relationships are probably not. So depending on, on what you use. What, right, what method right. you use to fetch that data. You might have to do some additional footwork. Okay, okay. So now getting back into the area in which JSON API really does shine and the things that it can really you know, shave off a lot of time and consequently money from your work, let's, let's talk about those a little bit. For example, you mentioned pagination. You know, how is JSON API going to help me if I want to have paginated like data? What are the scenarios on the client where I would need paginated data? And then maybe we can walk back from, you know, here's this user interaction that I need paginated data for. And how's JSON API going to help me with that? Sure. So I guess the typical scenario on the front end is there is a long list of items and you don't want to overwhelm the user by showing them all at once. You need to just show them page by page. And so JSON API uh, recommends to use the, so it's agnostic about the exact paging strategy that you use. So you can use the classic page based uh, approach or a cursor based one or a start at kind of pagination technique. It doesn't really force you to choose the way you want to do that. And it also mentions that I think it's the way it, <laughs> it frames it is you might want to use the page query parameter. And so I think that the libraries, at least JSON API resources for sure, use that page parameter to send back paginated data. So you have a page and then a square brackets number and then page size. The request variables are page number and page size. And then the server knows that, okay, I'm, I just have to send back the second page if the page size is 25. And then it just sets back that set. And then if you're using a, a library on the server side, then you don't have to do any extra work. Yeah, exactly. Depending on the library, I guess. But JSON API resources make this one really simple. I see. And so then in terms of library support on the client, I assume that there are libraries like Ember Data that automatically will support this. Uh, so when you're creating these live queries, you can include information about the page. Yes, the, I mean, I'm very into Ember, so I'm not sure about the, the other lab, other frameworks, but I suppose that there are some ways that, that make this very easy for the developer in, in many of these frameworks, like Angular and React. And right. So this is something that has just bit me on the butt so many times is when I have you know, paginated sorted data. So, you know, imagine you've got some infinite scrolling table or not an infinite scrolling, but it's, you know, you've got some, a bunch of table rows that are, you know, maybe, I don't know, three, there are 300 of them or 3000 of them. And so you don't want to load them all uh, at the same time, but at the same time, you've got complex sorting uh, that's happening on each column. You might have seven layers of sort. Uh, I want to sort by name, followed by ID, followed by date. And one of the biggest problems I've encountered is trying to reconcile trying to sort on the client versus trying to sort on the server. Are there any facilities to help you deal with that? 
Yeah, so I think the approach I usually take is that just if you do it on the server, then do it on the server. Just do not mix the two things. So in this case, for example, if you are sorting and then you change the sort field, I would just send a request to the server to have the items returned in the new, according to the new sort criteria. So I, right. yeah, I think that's the, the simplest approach because as you, as you said, and probably experienced, uh, things can get really messy if you want to do that on the client. And then you've got, you know, you've got like the third page, but when you do the sort, what's on the contents of the third page? I mean, could be anything. Yeah, that's the other thing. I think if you change the sorting criteria, you probably want to go to the first page, right? I don't think, yeah. I mean, I haven't thought through all the scenarios, but I think it's really rare that you want to stay on the, I don't know, the fourth page while you change the sorting criteria to be created at descending, you know? You probably want to see the first item that has the like the latest created day. Man, someone should seriously write a book uh, about sorting and pagination and like loading these data sets because seriously, I feel like there's there's just yeah there's there's this tribal knowledge of things that people have learned from screwing it up. You know, there's not like a written down way of this is how you build the data loading layer for an infinite data set so that you can sort, that you can uh, paginate and hear the problems that you will encounter. Yeah, so I, th there is actually a book written by uh, Adolfo Buides. He wrote a book on Ember CLI too, right? Exactly, Ember CLI 101. Yeah, he's the same guy. And he wrote JSON API by example. And I have it on my mental to-do list to buy that book. So I'm not sure if he covers uh, these exact scenarios, but he must cover several of them in that book. Well, I'll be sure to reach out for him because I certainly there are a couple scenarios that have bit me too. You know, the other one is where you have some collection that's paginated and sorted, and then someone adds on the client side a thing to that collection. So like, like you know, you say you want to create a new row in that table. Well, then what do you do with that new row? Like chances are, it's not going to be anywhere on the screen <laughs> because, you know, who knows what the sort order is in the terms of the total sort, which is only the server knows and who knows what, what page it's going to be on. And so, yeah, you've, you have all these problems that compound and it would be good, great to have a place, one place where people could, you know, reference them uh, or have like a, a little cookbook. Sure. Absolutely. Well, I think in that scenario too, the, the simplest thing and which I think, probably works best in like 99% of the cases is again, just to like reset the, the sorting and, the, and the, the pagination. You know, if I create a new record, I really want to see that new record. Yeah. Maybe you put like a little, the new record up in a box up at the top in like a special new record place. Sure. Well, you can go fancy and do that. That, that would be a good solution too, but probably you can just reset the, the page number and show the first page with the new record. Ah, uh, yeah, I see. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It can get more complicated than this. You might have a problem where you don't want to lose that context of the records that you were looking at. That's right. Somebody should write a book in me. I know somebody who already did write a book on a related <laughs> topic. <laughs> it could be you. You haven't written a book in over a year, right? So uh... <laughs> <laughs> It's been two years already. It's been two years. <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm never going to write a book again. I don't know. Do you think you might? Or uh, I think I might. I actually have this urge. If I recall correctly, uh, you're one of the few people I've talked to uh, who was like, yeah, you know, writing a book, it wasn't that bad. It was kind of a, kind of a nice experience. <laughs> and like literally everyone else I've talked to have been like, ah, oh, I'm writing a book. 
And that's really interesting too, because like his book keeps up with the releases of Ember. So that makes it even harder. So that's surprising to hear that like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Exactly. Well, that's why I kind of put off writing a second book for a while, because that's, if I just wrote a book and then I could just be done with it, I would be happy to like start writing a second book. But if I have to maintain it for years, I mean, I'm happy to do that, but it's just so much extra work that I'd have to take this into consideration. Yeah. I mean, essentially what you've done is you've rewritten the book, right? You probably, you know, in, in terms of, you know, absolute content, given how much everything has changed, you've probably, you know, flipped over the content of the book in the same way that, you know, people flip over the atoms in their body. I think there was something like, you know, you don't have a single atom in your body three years from now that you have today. It takes about, about three years and you have comp- all the matter is completely and totally exchanged. So it's kind of like that. Yes, it's kind of like that. Well, I think probably, well, I'm not sure, but maybe half of the book is still relatively as it was when I released it. Because, you know, since Ember 2 came out, Ember didn't change that much. So in the 1.x right. series, it did change a lot. And I think my book originally came out when Ember was 1.10, I would say. So there is a lot less work uh, going re- required now to maintain it than it was back then. But yes, it, it had changed a lot for sure. Yeah, I think I bought the book in when on its first release, if it was 110, and then like I guess you automatically get um, assigned to the GitHub repo, so you just see like a constant barrage of like updates, 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 and I'm like, wow, Balant is really killing it, like updating <laughs> this book every week. Yeah, no, it is a good book, and everybody should go buy it. The other thing that I wanted to cover too, because as long as we're talking about scenarios that come up again and again. Uh, we talked about pagination. We talked about sorting. What about things like search? Is there a uniform mechanism uh, to help you out there? So you can implement searches by using filters, which uh, is a JSON API concept of using filters. So you can pass a parameter called filter to your query. And then again, in square bracket, you have the name of the field that you want to search on. And then just you pass the value the search term, basically, and then your backend should return the items that match according to some criteria. That's the, that's the simple case. Yeah, it's a simple case, but then it's up to the. It's I mean, it's clearly it's up to the backend to kind of implement that API. Yes, and so I'm wondering what libraries are available. Like you know, if I'm doing something in Elixir, or I'm doing something in Sinatra, or I'm doing something using Express, you know, how seamless is it? Because I feel like a lot of times you can run into problems where there's these leaky abstractions about the fact that I'm, you know, one thing is a Mongo backend and one is based on Postgres. Maybe that's a better example than a different server technology, but more like, you know, sticking with a single server technology, let's use Ruby, but one is I'm using a Postgres backend and one I'm using, you know, say MongoDB uh, or some, some other key value store. Right. In your experience, if, if you've seen this, how much kind of does the backing store leak into the front end? Does it is JSON API good protection and the ecosystem around it from those leaks? Yeah, that's a good question. Again, I was about to say that the backend needs to be ab- the abstraction that shields you from having to know what kind of persistence layer you use, right? Because I mean, the front end shouldn't care about what or any client of that backend 
they shouldn't care about what uh, whether you use MongoDB or Postgres. Like that's the responsibility of the API. So you can still send, in this case, for example, a filter query, and then however the backend translates this to database queries, that's its job. So I think the, the answer to your question is that JSON API does shield you from, does protect you from having to know the, the intricate details of, of the database. And so you might actually have, so you might have some work to do, but, but it's possible. Sure. You might have a lot of work to do uh, on the backend, but it's possible. And, but it's not just JSON API that protects you. It's any kind of API should protect you from this kind of knowledge. Right. Unless you're using GraphQL. Could be. <laughs> I don't know exactly how GraphQL uh, works. Yeah. I'm, uh, I think it would, there would be actually nice to read something with, from somebody who's got like a lot of good experience with all of these like different technologies to make a comparison. I feel kind of in the dark. This is unfortunately the problem with any technology is like, I feel like most of the comparisons out there, you know, if you're going to compare, most people have like a huge implicit bias for one tool and like a little bit of experience with, you know, the other just to make be, be dangerous. So like, I don't definitely want to have render opinions on like GraphQL and certainly not versus the APIs that I'm used to because I feel like I can't make a, a, a good comparison. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point. Um, but I, it, is, it is something that I am, I'm so intrigued because I feel like there's a lot of overlap there, but who knows? Yeah, They need like a to-do API, like how they had to-do MVC. They need a to-do API yeah. comparison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing we could do could you implement JSON API over GraphQL and kind of just move your back end onto the front end? I think you could, but you just said that with GraphQL, like you have to know on the client, on the front end, what like fields the database right. has. Right. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right. You could technically have a JSON API on top of your GraphQL back end because I think the thing that kind of freaks me out most about, I mean, and this is a crazy idea. No one should ever do it, but I hope someone does. <laughs> the, the thing that kind of freaks me out about GraphQL is like being as kind of old as I am. Like I saw so many projects ruined by the visual basic kind of mantra of just like, yeah, man, just query your database right inside your components. And that was literally the rope that hung a thousand projects, 10,000 yes. projects and just made people despise Visual Basic development. Yes, because there was no there was no shield, and then literally every button was coupled to your database. But you could theoretically, right? You could have the best of both worlds, where you have some abstraction that sits, you know, on your client that's sitting on an abstraction that's also on your client, but just you're moving your query language from your server over to your client, or something like that. Yes, something. Yeah, something like that could work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In theory. In theory, like I said, don't ever, no one should ever do that unless they really want to. Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. The other thing I wanted to ask you is kind of what, uh, what do you have cooking? Like, so you've got your book, you know, you wrote, but you keep updated. Uh, you recently have been evangelizing uh, data loading patterns, most recently at EmberConf. What's next? What's now? Or are you just kind of taking a break? I already like, published a, a mini book about these data loading scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, I just cover the, the things I talked about at EmberConf and then some more. But I might make this into a full-fledged full book. 
providing I don't have to update it. That's <laughs> <laughs> like you look, I, y'all. I'm gonna write this book, but just <laughs> once. <laughs> but just once. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still have to find a way of of doing that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we'll I will. We will look for all of those things. One thing that just occurred to me is just how much of actually building UI and building front end really is about thinking about the structure and flow of how you load your data and how much the user doesn't see that, but how important that is to provide a good experience to that user. That's one of the things that uh, sometimes we as UI, as UI engineers don't like to think about, but it, I think it is absolutely, you know, it's true and it's crucial and it's, it's foundational. So thank you so much, Valent, for coming by and, and talking with, with us about these important topics. And um, we will see everybody next week. With that, I will bid everybody adieu. Goodbye, Elric. Goodbye, Valent. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. Goodbye. Goodbye.